0: Morning, church. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, thank you for this time together. And as we have lifted our voice together, uh, Father, we do bless you because you are worthy in every regard. And as we have sung, we can bless you when the fields are of plenty, and we can bless you when we're in the deepest of valleys. And so we have come today. We ask you to minister to us through your word in ways that are personal and very profound. And uh, we just thank you that you are such a great God. We love you, Lord. We want you to hear that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue on in our series. We're in this series called Anchored. And uh, we kind of uh, come to chapter 11 And you may remember that uh, when we started our series about, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago that was 10 weeks or so ago, 10 or 12 uh, I started the series in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 To just give us a sort of true north for the series And so let's read those first three verses The sermon this morning is called Some Bring Their Best And we're going to get to that when we get to the sort of the hall of faith Here which begins at uh, verse number 4 But uh, let's read verses 1 through 3. Follow along, if you would, as I read these and uh, hear the word of the Lord. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible." We started our series, we gave a definition to faith. Faith is simply this faith is taking God at His word. Taking God at His word. And then there's a corollary to that, a second part to that. It's faith is taking God at His word and then rightly responding to that truth. So we take God at His word and then we respond accordingly, in accordance with His word. And we get this sort of overarching sort of sense of what faith is, and then when we get to verse 4, the writer of Hebrews begins to unpack this sort of hall of fame of faith. People that these Jewish readers would be familiar with, who have lived lives of great faith. And so let's read just a few of these verses. We won't read through all of them, but let me just read through a few of them, and then we'll talk about a few of these names here in a moment. The age, and since she considered him faithful, who had promised, and we could continue to read on through chapter eleven of all of these folks who live by faith. And so, this morning, I want you just to realize when we look at chapter eleven, here are people who lived by faith, trusted God, and brought their very best to God. They they lived out their lives in a way of surrender that was a product of their faith. And they brought their best and here we are hundreds and hundreds of years later and we're reading about their life of incredible faith and bringing their best to God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Are you bringing your best to God in these days? Abraham Lincoln said when he became president, I will do the very best I know, the very best I can, and I mean to keep on doing so until the end. He wanted to bring his best. And the reality is, is what we are is that which we repeatedly do. That which you do consistently and repeatedly do is who you are. And that's why Aristotle said that that our lives really excellent in our life is a habit, not simply an act. It's that that we repeatedly do. My dad used to always say, it doesn't take much to be above average, you know, and it really doesn't, you know, to be above sort of 50%. And, uh... You know, If you want to be above average in any given endeavor, it takes surprisingly little effort. Now here's what I'd like to do. If you read through the, all of chapter 11 and all of those people that are mentioned in that hall of faith, if you study those people and if you study other people who have been used of the Lord through all of the scriptures and through church history, I'm going to suggest to you, you will find four attributes in their lives. Now, you'll find more than four, but you won't find less than these four. And I've studied these over many years, and so I want to give to you four attributes of kingdom people, people whose lives are lived out in faith and that faith is manifested in full surrender and bringing their best to God. Four attributes that you'll see in those kinds of people. And so let me give them to you there. Follow along if you have your notes. The first one might come as a surprise it's brokenness. Now, that's not being broke. Brokenness is an awareness and, and a, a high degree of sensitivity that you have the potential to grieve the heart of God, that you are a sinner saved by grace. And you're aware that you are a sinner, even though you're you're positionally sanctified when you come to Christ, you're you're growing into the image of Christ. And we're still, and we do, sin. We're still able to. Uh, We read in verse seven there, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed the ark. Reverent fear, reverence. Reverence towards God is holding God in his proper perspective. And we hold a high view of God. Is our God personal? Absolutely. But our God should never get familiar and our interaction with God should never be trite. You know, we hold God in reverence. He is God. He's above all else. And then it says in fear. uh, I would suggest Noah, he had fear of grieving the heart of God because of who God was. And he had this sensitivity. In fact, in Genesis 6-8, If you read the story of Noah, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. I have never known anybody who walked with God and lived sort of a blameless life that didn't have a high degree of sensitivity to their own sin. They had the sense that I can grieve the heart of God. One of the most godly men I have ever known was Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, who was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, the seminary that I went to for many, many years. An unbelievably godly man. He's with the Lord now. I can remember one day he, he was on the board of the ministry that I was leading at the time. And one, one time we were at a conference and he was staying in a hotel and I went to pick him up. And I said, Dr. McQuilkin, how are you today? He said, today I'm as holy as a saved sinner can be and nothing more. He was sensitive to the fact that he could grieve the heart of God and that his sin was so real to him. And that's why we read in Genesis 6.22, it tells us that Noah did according to all that God had commanded. He walked in reverent fear with God. The second thing I want you to uh, consider is this you want to be used of God is you will have an uncommon communion with God uncommon communion with God a depth of intimacy with God if you've been around people who God has used in a mighty way if you look at these people in this hall of faith these are people that had an uncommon communion with God we look at Sarah she's well past the time that she should have the capacity to conceive but she has faith in God it says that she had faith in he who promised she had this deep communion, this deep trust. Enoch in verse 5, because, of course, many of us know Enoch has this great sort of lineage. He's Adam's great, 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 great grandson, four greats. He's Noah's great grandfather. So he's, he's in this lineage. of. But it tells us that he was a faithful man who walked with God. He walked with God. He wasn't in front of God doing his own thing. He wasn't lagging behind what God wanted. He had this intimacy, this deep communion with God. And then it says he didn't die, that God just took him up. I think God was ready to have him with him. He was here, then he was gone. It's an amazing kind of a reality. I think he was ushered into God's presence. He didn't need to die because he'd already died to self. That's in Galatians 2.20 of Paul. He was already crucified to his own pleasure, his own will, and he walked with God. The third thing. The third thing I'd like to suggest of men and women who've been used greatly of the Lord is one of the attributes is servanthood. But it's not just serving, it's serving as an identity, not a strategy. And after 30 years in ministry, I'm sad to say I have seen lots of people who've served the Lord, but they do it as a strategy, not as an identity, not simply because they are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in verse four, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And there's lots of conjecture on why Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable. And some people say, well, it's because, you know, uh, God preferred Abel's offering because it was of the firstborn from his flock. Well, uh, you know, Cain's offering was something out of the vegetable garden, right? But the text doesn't allow that. And if you read beyond that in the biblical text, you can't really make a case for that. I would suggest, that Abel had the proper motivation, that his heart was pure. He wanted to serve God with this offering. He had no strategy. I just wanna bring an offering to my God. I just wanna bring an offering. That's why it says, by faith, Abel offered a a better sacrifice. In fact, I would suggest there was something in Cain's motivation, in his heart attitude, and maybe you know, he was kind of a performance-oriented guy that made his offering unacceptable to God. And it was obviously something that Cain was able uh, to correct because, in fact, it tells us God said to, uh, to Cain, if you correct it, you will be accepted if you do what is right. So he could have done that. I think God looked into the heart of Cain and his heart, his motivation It was a strategy, not an identity. Abel comes in, God, I just have this offering for you. He wanted to give God his best, his very best. What about you? Are you serving as an identity because you're a follower of Jesus and I wanna live and look and live my life out in reflection of the Lord Jesus? If you wanna do that, then you have to take serious. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. If you wanna live a life of reflection to Jesus, you have to serve. And please don't tell me you're too busy. If you're too busy to serve the Lord on a consistent, regular, sacrificial basis, you have your life is out of kilter. And you gotta take inventory quickly. The fourth attribute of people Who are used of the Lord? Who will find themselves in the hall of faith? Is this won't come as any surprise? I don't think. Radical immediate obedience. Radical immediate obedience. These are people who would rather die than disobey. We read in verse eight that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he didn't know to receive his inheritance. In Genesis twenty-two, we see. Abraham's radical, immediate obedience come to full bloom when God asks him to step up his obedience and offer his son, Isaac. And he's willing. Fully willing, he's all in. Not partial obedience, not delayed obedience. That's what radical means. Radical means you're going to do something that, that, that disregards the ancillary it means you're going to do something that you don't take inventory of the cost. It's that radical. I am going to obey God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk in faith to God. I'm going to fully surrender. I'm going to give my very best to God. Now, you may have known people like that in your life. You may have known people that had a brokenness, a sensitivity to the, their capacity to grieve the heart of God that served as an identity, not as a strategy, that had an uncommon, deep communion with the Lord. You may have known those that had radical, immediate obedience. I wanna show you a picture of one of my personal Hall of Faith friends. This is my dear friend, uh, Pastor Bill Cameron. Now you can tell that picture's old because you can see me, I have more, more hair and less of everything else in that picture. That's from 1991, that's an old picture. But that's me and Bill in the mountains of Ecuador on a missions trip that kind of wrecked my life, actually. If you don't like to get your life wrecked, don't go on a missions trip. Wrecked it in a wonderful way. But I watched Bill. Bill was our first missionary from the church that I pastored. He and his wife went to Africa in 1949 to the Chad. Way back when missionaries would go and often pack their belongings in their casket in case they died so they could be shipped home and he served there in the chad for decades and then he came home and no sooner was he home and uh, his wife died and I was like good night I mean Lord this guy served you and you know he's supposed to enjoy retirement and here his wife gets cancer and dies One night we had a meeting at the church and he said, hey, can you drive me home? And I I said, sure, yeah, I can drive you home. He lived in an apartment not too far from the church. So we loaded up in the car and we drove home. We pulled up to his apartment. I go, there you go, Bill. He goes, "Oh no, come in for a cup of tea. I didn't really want to go in for a cup of tea, but I knew it was important to him. I said, okay, Bill, I'll come in. So I went in, went up to the apartment and he opened the door and we went into this apartment of this retired missionary. And I looked around and my heart sank because everything in that apartment looked worn out. The reason why it looked worn out is that it had all been donated. He have got an old couch, somebody donated to the missionary. Had old this, somebody donated to the missionary, old lamps and everything. And I'm thinking, oh man, you serve your whole Lord the whole life and here you're in this dingy apartment, all this worn out stuff. And no sooner is that thought in my mind that Bill says, hey, what do you think of my place? Oh boy. And before I can spit a word out, he says, I got the tiger by the tail, don't I? I was like, oh man. I get in my car, I'm driving home, and the tears start to run down my face. I says, Lord, you gotta fix my heart. I'm, I'm singing off a different song sheet. You gotta fix my heart, Lord. Turn in your Bibles quickly to Luke 21. Luke 21. Bill Cameron, the guy I just showed you, he served on our church staff till he was 96. We, we, we couldn't believe it. He just kept showing up. It was unbelievable. In the last three or four years, he ran dodgeball for the youth. I'm just kidding. He didn't run dodgeball. If Bill was here, I would say that. he gave a kick out of that. He was an amazing man. I did his funeral. 102, Just a year and a half or so ago, a couple years ago. It was glorious. Glorious. But Luke 21, we may not be able to relate to an Abraham or a Noah or a Moses or an Enoch or a Sarah, but, but I bet we can relate to this person in Luke 21. This is just a, a woman who's just part of following God. She loves God. One day Jesus sees her. Verse 1, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Verse 3, Luke 21. And he said, This is Jesus speaking. Listen to what Jesus says here. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty, listen carefully, she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Now there's a few key words in those verses. First of all, putting in. It's a present tense in the Greek, meaning that this is what people did continually and regularly into these offering boxes. She's a poor widow. The poverty of the widow is described in a Greek word The word is only used once in the New Testament, and it's used in this verse, and the word literally means a woman who was in indescribable need. She's giving, and she's giving, trusting in faith that God will replace that which she has given. She's giving out of her poverty. Jesus says, but out of her poverty. The other ones gave out of their abundance. Out of her poverty she gave gave out of her lack two small copper coins it was not lawful to offer into the offering anything less than two lepta which are the smallest coins in the currency of the day and so her gift monetarily was negligible was next to nothing money wise and yet Jesus said this poor widow has put in more than all of the other people, all the rich people coming up, throwing their money in. Why is that true? Why is Jesus' statement true? Because Jesus knows that when he, when he watched this woman and she put in those two coins, she not only put in the two coins, she cast in her heart. I can give this to the Lord. I can trust, I'm gonna give this to God. Out of her necessity, she gave Jesus elevates this woman, listen carefully, not because her giving is the highest amount, but because what she gives to God is her highest priority. And that's why she supersedes the rest. It is an act of worship, friends. This is not an act of giving this woman has. It's an act of worship, and it's an act of worship fueled by her faith in God. And giving our time and talents and finances should always be viewed as an act of worship, done out of delight, not out of drudgery and not out of Christian duty, out of delight. She brought her best to the Lord Jesus. So what does that mean to us this morning in the next few minutes we have? I'd like to ask you this morning to take a little bit of inventory of your own heart Uh, Would you be written up in a hall of faith like some of these folks? Uh, What's your level of commitment to the kingdom of God? And I'd like to suggest to you what level you may be at. And I've wrestled with this this week as I've prepared and thought about what I was going to say this morning. The first level I'd like to suggest is uh, maybe you're simply a kingdom consumer, if, if you're a kingdom consumer, that means that you're, you're not even on, on the radar yet. You, you know, you might show up to a service here at West Park and you take in a sermon and like the worship music and maybe you throw a buck or two in the offering when you get a chance, but you're not serving. Your giving is just kind of haphazard when you have extra. And, and I'd encourage you to move from that Today. To, to draw a line in the sand and say I'm going to step over. I want to be a kingdom contributor, not a consumer. And that's the second level: is a casual contributor. You give out of excess. You know, some people are that, right? I, I, yeah, I'm involved. I, you know, I give a little bit of money, and you know, I'll serve if I got some time. Uh, but but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make time. I, I, I'm 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 going to give out of the excess. Some of you may remember that a couple of months ago, actually in September, I had a cast on my left foot uh, because I had surgery on my left foot to repair an injury that I got four years ago last week. Four years ago last week, I'm, I'm a gearhead. I like to fix things and work on machinery and engines and stuff, and I had a tractor in my shop and it was a Saturday night and I was working on this tractor and one of the things I was doing was mounting a snow blade on it for the winter because it was first week of December. And so I'm mounting this snow blade and the snow blade, five foot steel snow blade, but 350 pounds, fell on my foot. Yeah, that's what I said too. Ooh. <laughs> Landed on my foot, my left foot. And boy, did that ever hurt. And I went in the house and I said to... My wife, Cheryl, oh man, I smashed my foot and I took my shoe and sock off. Of course, my foot, it looks really bad and it hurts like the dickens. And so I said, Cheryl said, Oh, you're going to have to go to the hospital. I said, I'm not going to the hospital. It's Saturday night. Everybody's at the hospital on Saturday night. I'm not going. I'll make it through the night. Ibuprofen, I'm tough. Not really. By the morning, I was ready to go to the hospital. <laughs> my foot was swollen. It was black and blue. It was a mess. Thankfully, it was a Sunday morning, but I didn't have to preach. I wasn't preaching that day. And so I went online, and I looked at our Cambridge Hospital at the emergency wait time, and it was hours long. So I decided, I'm going to look at Brantford. So I looked up, Brantford wait time, it was only one hour. So I said to Cheryl, I'm going to Brantford. So I bundled myself up, and I head to Brantford. On my way to Brantford, it starts to have a freezing rainstorm. And on the radio, it says uh, there's a freezing rain warning. Everybody's supposed to stay at home and not go anywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I probably shouldn't even be up. By the time I get to the Brantford Hospital, everything in Brantford is covered in ice. As I'm hobbling up to the hospital, a car and truck smash into each other right in front of the hospital on the ice. I mean, it's treacherous. I get in there. The good thing is there's nobody in there because nobody's dumb like me to come out. So I go in there, and I'm sitting there waiting and I don't have to wait very long. While I'm sitting there, I have a coat on, winter coat, and I reach in my pocket, and I pull out a $100 bill. Now, where that came from was earlier in the week, I was in a restaurant, and I was meeting with a guy, and another man came along, and, and I knew him, and he said, hey, how are you, and I said, fine. He says, here, and he put his hand in my pocket, and he says, check that later, and off he went. I totally forgot about it till I'm sitting in the Emerge, and I reach in, and I go, look, I gave you $100. Now, three months before that, I had quit my senior pastor job and stepped out in faith. I didn't know where I was gonna earn an income, and so I was sort of trusting God. Anyways, I think oh, $100, stick it back in my pocket. I get my foot fixed, it's broken, I get it cast and everything, and I leave, and I head home, but it's so icy out, it, the driving is so treacherous, I called my wife, I said, I'm gonna stop here and have breakfast and just you know, try and wait it out for an hour or two till at least they get some salt down. So I go into this little diner, Hobble in. Of course, there's nobody in the diner because nobody's out on the road, so everybody's standing around. And this gal comes to wait on me, and she's a very sort of eclectic person. She's got all these tats. She's got holes where God didn't drill them. She's got piercings and everything. And she comes up, but she is so engaging. She's just, and we kind of hit it off. And of course, she's got nobody else to wait on, so we're talking. And I'm, you know, and we're talking, and... and then she, she comes back, and I said to her, hey, listen, I'm gonna ask you something. She goes, yeah. I said, what's the dream? She goes, what do you mean? I said, what's the dream? She sort of looks at me, stares at me, and I said, like, you are such an engaging person. You're just vibrant personality and you're full of life and, and I hope this doesn't sound dismissive but there's got to be more for you than working in this little diner. Like I, I, I know you're hearing and I'm, but like you just seem to me like like God has put into you something and she goes he has hold on and she goes way in the back and she comes out with her phone she says I'm an artist and she starts scrolling through these pictures of musical instruments that she had painted and they were unbelievable. I said, that is so cool. I said, is that the truth? She goes, I think it is. But she said, I'm a single mom. And she said, I, I don't know how to do it. She said, I'm trying to get a website up. And I'm trying, because she said, I'm an artist. I'm not a technical person. So I'm trying to get a website up. And I'm saving money. And I've, I'm coming along. As soon as I get enough money, i got a guy that will build it. So I'm putting money towards website. And I said, oh, good. And so off she goes. And I'm sitting there saying, Lord, man, help her get, build the website. And God says to me, you got $100 in your pocket. I go, yeah, I do. So she comes to brings me the bill. And I said, I'm not going to leave you a tip on my, on my card. I'm going to give you the tip. She says, okay. So I reach in my pocket and I give her the 100 dollars And she wells up, her eyes fill up. She's on the verge of crying. And she says, I can't believe you're doing this. And I said, Neither can I. <laughs> I said, no, I'm supposed to do this. I said, but here's the deal. You gotta put this towards the dream. She goes, I'll do it, I'll do it. Off she goes. I hobble out to my car, work, make my way home. Two weeks later, I gotta go back to get my foot checked. They said, you gotta come back, have your foot relooked at in two weeks, make sure. So I go back, on the way home, I thought I should stop in that little diner. I go in the little diner again. I pull in the parking lot of the little diner. I live out in the country, so I have a mailbox, you know, at the end of my driveway? So when I left my house that morning, I reached in my mailbox and there was some mail, I threw it on the front seat of my car. And I pull into the little diner and before I get out, I look down, I'm thinking, here's all this mail. I look over at the mail and there's an envelope, handwritten, with my name on it, that came in the mail. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird, because at first I don't get much mail anyway. So I open it and here's somebody, now it's a week before Christmas, somebody has written me a check for $100. I go, well that's really interesting. I go in, I'm sitting there, I'm looking down at my phone and a girl walks up and she would like coffee and I said, yeah, and pours a cup, puts it down and I look up and it's my girl. And She goes, it's you. And I go, yeah, it's me. She goes, oh, I, I can't believe you gave me that money. I haven't forgot about it. And I said, oh. And she, I said, how's it coming? She goes, oh, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. She goes, I'm uh, almost there. And she goes back in the back and I'm sitting there and God says to me, you got another $100. <laughs> and so she comes to collect the bill, and I give her a $100 tip. She says, you can't do this again. I said, yeah, I can. Okay, full disclosure, you ready? I get in my car, I'm driving home, and I'm like, oh. Gave away 200 bucks." And God says, no, 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 no. That is excess. You made no sacrifice in that, Steve. And you should know better this far along in the Christian journey. See, that's what what we've just read here about this woman. Jesus says, you know, everybody gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. God said to me, you gave out of your abundance. Come on, man. The Lord taught me a couple of things that day. The first thing he taught me was, don't eat in Brantford. It costs you all kinds of money. Just kidding. The Lord reminded me, you know, and, and, you know, and, and just when God, wa- the reason why I told you that lengthy story is this. When God wants to teach you something, he will orchestrate it. I break my foot, I go to the Brantford Hospital, there's an ice storm, I stop at that diner, and I meet that girl, and I happen to have 100 bucks in my pocket twice that I had no business of my own doing to have that. God will go to great lengths to teach you. Amen? Amen. Are you listening? We must be listening. And I'm going to tell you this. I have never, ever, ever, ever regretted anything I've given to the Lord. Not for a second. Not for a second. If you have excess, you know what that means? Listen carefully, some of you here this morning are under immense financial pressure, I get it. But if you have excess, that's because God is giving stuff to you to be given through you, not to you. (laughs) Amen? I told this same story in the first service. I'm standing right over here. Service is over. People are going out, lady came to talk to me. I'm talking to this lady, man walks up. Good morning. I said good morning. He sticks his hand in my pocket. He goes, "See ya," walks away. I reach in my pocket. What do you think I got? I got a $100 bill again. <laughs> and so I joyfully took it out to those nice ladies at the welcome center and said, "Put this in the seeds offering. It's excess. It's excess." The man who put it in my pocket, he gets credit. I don't. Before this service, a lady came up to me and said, I'm supposed to give this to you. And she gave me a bunch of bills folded together. And I said, No, you don't. And I said, I'm going to give this away. You know that. She goes, Yeah, I know. It's going in the seats as well because it's excess. And she'll get credit, not me. She'll get credit. Maybe you are a consistent contributor. This is 2 Corinthians 8. And this is when you begin to respond to your passions. You begin to respond to your gifting. And, and when you do that and, and you live that kingdom life, and I said in the first service, and I, I saw it again after first service, that's what you experience when you go to that kid's check-in area. All the people working in there, they're like on triple espresso. They're like, wow! It's like, I want to go in there. I don't want to come and listen to me. I want to go in there. They're, they're, they're excited. They're serving God out of delight, not out of duty. They're experiencing the pleasure of God. They're consistently serving. It's glorious. But the final level I want you to consider this morning is my bring my best legacy contributor to the kingdom of God. Where you say, I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to bring my best. That's our widow. Jesus said, Give more than ever did. She brought her best. She brought her best and beyond, actually. My friend Bill Cameron. Can we stick Bill back up, tech folks? Can you find Bill there again? There's my friend Bill. I told you a few weeks ago that we had a a, uh, child in Atlanta. When we lived in Atlanta, we were serving the Lord there. We were supported missionaries, and I was uh, leading a a mission organization, and uh, we had a baby. My son Landon, and he had all these problems, and we got eleven thousand dollar hospital bill, eleven thousand bucks. I was making thirty two thousand five hundred dollars a year, so that was one third of a year's income. And I'm looking at this bill, and I'm like, "Good, how are we gonna pay that bill? This is crazy." We considered giving the baby back, actually. <laughs> a couple weeks later, mail comes. Throw it down on the kitchen counter, looking through. There's an envelope there, hand addressed, Stephen Cheryl Adams. I open it up, take it out. There's a check in there, handwritten. On the front is a post it note. And it says this I hope this helps. Grandpa Bill. Grandpa Bill. And it's a check from a retired missionary living in a dingy apartment with donated junk for Jesus that he thinks he's got the tiger by the tail and it's a check for 1,000 U.S. dollars which cost him 1,600 bucks because the Canadian dollar was at like 60 cents. This is a retired missionary with nothing as far as the world's Possessions go. Living on government pension. And he brings his best. I'm like, oh man, can I really take this money? Stradivarius made the greatest violins in the world. Nobody ever debates who made the greatest violins in the world. People debate who makes the best car, who makes the best computer, who makes the best phone. Nobody ever debates it. You know why? Because Stradivarius said during his life, he said, other men will make violins, but no one will make a better one. I'm going to bring my best. So let me ask you this. Are you living a life? This is what I want you to think about as we close this morning. Are you living an earthly life that means your life will outlive you? Because the way you do that is you live a life of relentless faith like Enoch and Noah and Moses and Sarah and on and on it goes. And you say, I'm going to bring a kingdom contributor. Whatever I have, I'm going to give it to God and he will multiply it. You know, whatever you keep, you know the, you know the miracle of the boy with the loaves and fishes? You know what the boy could do with the loaves and fishes? He could add fishes to it, loaves to it, He could take away loaves and fishes, but when he put it in God's hands, God multiplied it instantly. Whatever you give to the Lord, he takes it and he multiplies it. Verse 13, chapter 11 says this, that those people, those people of great faith realized this so profoundly important that they were strangers and exiles on the earth that they lived their lives in such a world way that the attractions of this world were not of them. They were living beyond this world with their eyes fixed on eternity, knowing the best is yet to come, amen? Are you bringing your best for the glory of the King? Let's pray, Father God, we love you. Father, thank you for great men and women of faith who have such a sensitivity to their sin, that have such a deep communion with you that it's so uncommon, that serve you because they want to reflect the image of Jesus, and whose obedience is radical and immediate, and it just, we look at that. May we be like that, Lord, in some way or some form. May we bring our best, like Sarah did, and Noah did, and Moses did, and Enoch did, like Abel did, may we walk by deep faith, taking you at your word. We love you, Lord, amen.